Uh, so John chapter 15, verse 1, says this. And this is Jesus speaking to us. Um, and it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And our last verse here, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to come and to learn from your word. Uh, God, we ask that you open hearts this morning uh, to hear, to understand, to value, uh, and to digest that which you have for them to hear. God, we pray for each and every person that is, uh, that's either here or on their way. Uh, we pray that you help us to gain further understanding uh, and that you help us to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so... If we go back to our opening verse, uh, we see that Jesus is talking here, um, and he makes this statement about him being the true vine and his father being the vine dresser. Uh, so a lot of times Jesus would talk to, uh, talk to his disciples in agricultural terms, okay, uh, so that he could paint a word picture for them that they could, um, they could more easily understand, okay? So he tells us that he's the vine and that his father, God, is the vine dresser. Verse 2, the Bible says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Semicolon. Okay. So in this first part of the verse, he's talking about the branches that come off of the vine. Okay. So uh, who's he talking about here? Anybody? Christians? Christians? Right. He's talking about us, right? Okay, so if he's talking about people that are Christians here, okay, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, and we'll, we'll pause there. So how many of you believe that there can be believers in here that are not fruitful? Okay. Uh, so, you know, this is something that we have to be very careful with because you know, we could be like, all right, well, yeah, bet. I, I went ahead and I, I gave my life to Jesus, and now I'm just on easy street. I'm riding this thing to heaven uh, until the wheels fall off, and, and that's it. You know, and not be fruitful at all for God, okay? Not share the gospel with anybody, not invite anybody to church, uh, you know, not trying to grow in our relationship with the Lord, okay? So this is something that we have to be very careful with because if you look in the second part of this verse, it says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So what I want you to see here is that regardless of the type of follower in Jesus that you are, there's always going to be some form of trimming. There's always going to be some form of cutting back. Now, the cutting back is decided by you. Okay? So you can either be 
fully removed, okay, and cast aside, or he can prune you back so that there can be growth in you, okay? So we always need to kind of keep this in mind as followers of Christ that, you know, we need to make sure that we are in the latter rather than the former group, you know, if we're going to be effective for God, okay? So, you know, just kind of moving past that, verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In verse 4, we come to a very, uh, uh, very uncommon phrase in sort of today's vernacular, uh, but it says this. It says, abide in me and I in you, period. Okay, so if we were to say that to the average person, they, they probably wouldn't know what we were talking about. I mean, they may be able to get it by context, but they probably wouldn't know what that was. So let me show you uh, real quick what abide actually means. So I, I have a definition for it here, okay? And it says to remain, to continue to be present, not to depart, okay? So if we are called to abide in him, like it says in verse 4, then we need to remain in him. We need to continue to be present with him, and we are not to depart from him, okay? So, you know what, I, I just realized, I, I didn't even give you guys the title of the message today. <laughs> That's funny right there. Okay, so let's go back to the title of today's message, Are You Part of the In Crowd? Because all of that other stuff I said makes no sense if you don't understand this. Man, how'd you mess up the title, Keanu? Well, uh, I was just that eager to get into the word. Um, so, all right, now, now that we know what we're talking about, let's go back to the definition. Uh, all right, so it's been a little bit since I've been up here, all right? That's all right. Um, so, God is asking us to remain in him. Uh, to continue to be present with him and to not depart from him, okay? And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that we have so many different versions of the Bible that give us uh, different, um, different iterations of what the, uh, uh, what the original text looked like. Um, and I want to show this, this verse to you, verse 4. I want to show it to you in the New Living Translation uh, because it comes closer to what the definition uh, that I just gave you actually says. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Okay? So this gives us a better understanding of where we need to be. Uh, but, you know, even with that, Okay, even with that, that description, like, we have to get to a point where, you know, this is something that is continual, like the definition says, and it's not just sporadic, because how many of you guys have, like, fallen off your Christian wagon before? Okay, yeah, I know it just wasn't me, uh, but this is the call from God, is for us to be continuous in this pursuit, okay? Um, you know, the Bible talks about how uh, the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up, right? 
So we need to be continuous in our pursuit. And it, this pursuit, uh, I'm going to show you a few ways that we can do this today. But I, I want you to understand that it's got to be a continuous movement forward. Okay, We can't get stuck in saying, oh, man, well, I done fell off the bus again. And now, you know, uh, God will never forgive me for this. No, no, no. We can't afford to wallow in self-misery. We can't afford to, uh, to sit up here and say, you know what, woe is me. No, no, no. We walk with the most high God, and we have that calling on our life that we need to continue to move forward regardless of what we see in front of us. Okay? Understand that and embrace that. Because here's the deal. Like, life comes with challenges, all right? And I don't care... Uh, uh, I don't care who it is. I, I, I don't care uh, what time of, of uh, what period in time that you lived in. Life has always had challenges to it. And the funny thing is, like, we strive for an ideal, okay? And we want the perfect life, whatever that is, okay? And the thing is, life, life wasn't even perfect for Jesus. But we strive for this perfect life, right? So here's the thing. You know, we... Uh, we get stuck a lot of times on ideals, you know, what the ideal spouse is for us, what the ideal job is for us, what the ideal car is for us, rather than accepting the fact that, you know what, I have these things, and while they may not be ideal, this is what God has blessed me with. Okay? So, you know, we can't get trapped on the ideals is the point here, Okay? Because when we get trapped on the ideals, then it makes it very easy for us to go from gratitude to ingratitude, to go from satisfied to unsatisfied, okay, and to totally go from, uh, uh, from honoring God and uh, uh, focusing on him to looking at just the problems that we have in our lives, all the things that we don't have. I mean, like, you go back and you think about in the Garden of Eden, okay, um, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the right to eat of every tree in the, the entire garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. All the trees except for one, right? But what was it that the serpent came and did? He, he went to Eve and he said, uh, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of these trees? Okay, and then her response, uh, Eve's response to him was, no, we, we can't eat of it or even touch it. And God never said that. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. Uh, but in that moment, the devil knew that he had her because she didn't really have a good understanding of what God said. Okay. So here's the thing. The enemy came and he took all of the focus off of what God had already provided and put it on the one thing that they were not supposed to have. Okay and totally stole their focus, totally stole their focus, okay, and placed it on the wrong things, okay? So we have to, we have to understand that, no, the situations in our lives may not be the ideal, but this is what God has blessed us with for this season of time in our lives, okay? And we have to continue to keep that focus, and we have to continue to draw close to God, and we have to continue to abide in him, okay? So let's take a look at uh, uh, verse 5. 
And the Bible says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, again, abide in me, and I in them, they will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So, you know, when we look at, uh, when we look at these scriptures here, um, there is this recurring theme that is happening here. There is this theme of making sure that we stay close to God, that we stay focused on him, that we keep all of our attention on being in his presence, okay? And this is a continuous pursuit that we must have, all right? So let's go ahead and we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and switch to verse 6. Because, they, see, now we find out what the penalty is for not abiding in him. Okay, because the Bible says, if anyone does not abide in me, he does not remain in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Okay, so, like, uh, if you've ever been outside, you pulled weeds out of the ground and you just kind of left them there on the ground. They will wither without having any water support or whatever. They're going to wither away, right? Okay, and this is the same with us. When we are pulled off of the vine, all right, we will start to wither in our spirituality. We will start to wither in our walk with God. We will start to wither in the, the areas that matter the most. But again, is it hot in here? I see, I see folks fanning. Y'all hot? I am burning up on this stage. Um, but I'm going to make it through it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it done. Um, all right, see, y'all messing up my message now. All right, so, so when... When we are called to be with God, okay, and we are asked, or we're not even asked, we're commanded to abide in him, it's to avoid this right here, okay? Because what we don't want is to start to wither in our relationship with God, okay? We don't want to wane in our faith because, let me tell you something, when life starts to get tough, Okay, it's very easy for those that are waning in their faith to walk away from their faith when we are supposed to stay connected. Okay, if God is the sustainer of all things, if God created all things, if God gives us the oxygen to breathe in this room, if God created uh, the blood and the blood cells that rush through our veins that carry the oxygen from the room into our cells and keep us alive, okay, and he cuts that oxygen source off, guess what's going to happen? You will wither pretty quickly, okay? But, like, we understand that in a physical sense, but we don't necessarily always apply that to the spiritual realm, okay? So, like, when we go three or four days without reading our Bible, and then we look at it sitting on our, our countertop, we're like, oh, man, I haven't read. That's why I've been sort of edgy. That's why uh, uh, things have been getting to me. That's why the kids have been crazy. That's why all these things have been just been going haywire, okay? But we played a part in our own demise by not staying connected, by not abiding in him, okay? So we, we have to get to a point where we understand just how important this actually is, and we start applying it on a continual basis, okay? So... Uh, let me show you guys three things, uh, three principles um, that will help you to abide in him, 
okay? Uh, because it, it's very easy to come up here and say, all right, well, this is what we need to do, but not give us like the roadmap to get there, okay? So I'm gonna show you three things. And uh, I want you to pay very close attention because this is important for the lives of all believers, okay? So first thing is prayer, okay? Uh, we, I just talked about uh, first night of prayer. It's coming up next Sunday night, okay? Um, and, you know, this topic of prayer uh, is one that is, like, hotly debated. And I don't even know why people debate it because, like, if Jesus did it and he did it a lot and he's supposed to be our example, we need to be doing it what? A lot, right? Uh, you know, and he even took time and, and, and broke away from all of the craziness, all of the madness. I mean, Jesus was the, the proverbial rock star in his day. When Jesus started performing miracles and traveling around and, and, and becoming an itinerant preacher uh, in these different synagogues all over uh, Jerusalem and out of, outside of Jerusalem, please, the, the crowds were flocking by the tens of thousands to come and see Jesus, okay? So, like, he had to take time to get away and to be with the Father, okay, so that he could get himself recharged, so that he could keep his relationship right, and this needs to be our pattern, too, okay? So, you know, we can't discount prayer, and I, I'm going to show you how this works here in, in just a second. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 6. The Bible says this. Don't worry about anything. See, I don't think you heard me. Don't worry about anything. Semicolon. Let's just hang out there for a half second. So it's saying don't worry about anything. You know what? I'm, I'm going to come back to that. Let me just finish the sentence first says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, okay? So if we just look at this one sentence right here, and we ask ourselves, all right, well, this is a command from the Bible. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. We can assume that from just by the context, okay, that it's telling us that we need to be shifting our focus from abiding in our problems and shifting our focus back to abiding in God, right? Okay, so... Let me ask you this question, then, uh, for all the ameners in the room. Okay, how many of us actually worry about things? How many of y'all worry about things? Okay. All right, all right, keep your hands up. Don't go anywhere just yet. Okay, so uh, how many of you guys have prayed about those things? Okay, so we got a couple hands go down on that one. So, so we're not even following the actual uh, command that's here which says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. And, and like, what's funny is, um, like, Joyce and I are in the healthcare field. Uh, Sonia's in the healthcare field, too. We actually got a couple, couple people in the healthcare field, now that I think about it. Uh, but, like, we could all tell you that any sort of emotional stress that's get, that gets placed on a body has a, uh, what's called a physiological effect on the body. So there's a biochemical uh, changes that happen in the body that affect us physically, okay, that start to break down the body physically, okay? So, like, if we know that emotional stress or worry leads to physical distress and ev eventually physical breakdown, why do we do it? 
Like, why do we do that? Okay. I heard somewhere, um, can't remember who I heard it from, but I, I thought that this was deeply profound. Um, I was talking to a gentleman one time, and he said, you know what? Worry is an absolutely worthless emotion because it serves no great purpose in our lives other than to, to, to uh, outwardly manifest that there is a problem somewhere in our lives. And if we have control over that problem, then we need to be doing something about the problem instead of just worrying. Okay? So if we got money problems, we need to be doing something. We need to be, like, getting out there trying to work. Okay? If, if uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if, uh, if we have problems with our heart, then we need to be doing simple things like getting more active and eating right. Right? Like, there are things that we need to be doing if we are, if we find ourselves worrying about anything in our lives, the first thing we need to be doing is praying, and then we need to be doing something about it. Right? So, yes, worry is an absolutely worthless emotion when we really sit down and think about it. And when we really think about uh, the, the pathology of worrying and what it does to us physically and emotionally, okay, it serves no purpose other than to break us down. Okay? So, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Then, you know, we need to get back to a point where not only are we understanding the, this part of this verse, uh, but we're not reacting emotionally and instead reacting based on what we know, okay? So, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, my wife often tells our kids, um, you know, uh, we can't go based on how we feel. We must go based on what we know to be true, and specifically what we know to be true from the Word of God, okay? So, you know, if we are worrying and we just apply that logic right there, we got to tell ourselves, well, all right, uh, we're putting ourselves in that position because worrying is a choice. Okay? We choose to worry. We choose to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on this problem and I'm going to put all my attention towards it rather than putting my focus and attention on God and letting him take care of it. Right? Okay? So, we, gotta, we, we have to get to a point where we are separating what is happening to us, okay, from the fact that, you know, regardless of what happens to us, we need to stay focused on God. We need to keep abiding in him, okay? So let's take a look at the second part of this verse, okay, because there, there's a little bit more of God's, uh, uh, God's truth in this that we need to understand, okay, because it says here, tell God what you need, and thank him for all that he has done. So when we tell God what we need, here's the funny thing. Like, I think a lot of times uh, we forget the fact that God knows everything. I mean, can we be honest? <laughs> and we read this verse and we're like, well, wait a minute. Why do I need to tell God what I need if he already knows what I need? You're not telling God what you need based on him not knowing something. You're telling God what you need so that he can get you to see what you need. He can get you to understand what you need, okay? If what you need is to have a closer relationship with him, maybe he's calling you to pray because you ain't been praying enough, okay? Maybe, maybe you've been arrogant in the way that you've approached life and he wants to humble you so that you come back to praying, so that you come back to a right relationship with him, 
okay? But the thing is, he's not asking us here, or he's not commanding us here to tell him what we need because he needs to know what we need. Like, like he needs to get that, that laundry list of stuff. Okay, God, I, I need you to uh, make sure that my bills get paid this week. Uh, I need you to uh, straighten out that relationship between me and my wife. And No, he already knows all that, okay? But you need to realize where you're at. You have to understand that there's a need that you can only have met through him, okay? And it's not until you get that part of your relationship right with him that all of that other stuff can start to come into place, okay? So tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. This part of this verse uh, is so crucial, and I think we just kind of breeze past it um, as sort of an add-on to the first part. You know, we're real, we may be quicker to tell God what we need than we are to thank him for all that he's done. I mean, let's be real, okay? Um, because at the end of the day, the things that we need are usually more at the forefront of our mind than the things that we are really supposed to be thanking him for, which is everything, everything under the sun, okay? I don't care if it's a good or bad situation. Sometimes those bad situations are used to bring about change in our lives that are going to be positive ones for him and his glory and his will and his purposes, okay? So... Like, we need to get to a point where we're thankful because just like I told you guys before, if we tend to focus on all of the material things or we tend to focus on the things that we don't have, uh, which is funny, I, I, can, I can talk volumes about that. But if we tend to focus on all the things that we don't have, again, it brings you to a point of dissatisfaction. It brings you to a point of ingratitude, okay? And this totally opposes what the command of God is here, Okay? So we can't just sit up here and blow by this without giving it its just due because we need to be thankful in all circumstances, okay? Uh, if you want further clarification on that, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, I didn't throw it in my notes, and God just put it on my heart to say it, so uh, y'all can look that one up later and figure out what it says. Um, so... Let's take a move here. We're going to move on to uh, verse 7 here in Philippians. And the Bible says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. How many of you guys have peace in your life? I show of hands. You understand that peace is only brought about because God exists in our lives? Because I, I, I'll share with you this. Um, you know, even if you don't believe in God, here's the deal. Um, there is something called the, uh, the second law of thermodynamics in physics. And basically what that says is that everything is moving from organization to disorganization, okay? Whether that be in the physical form or, you know, our, our mental capacities or everything that we see in physical existence in life, okay? Uh, and it's a process called entropy, okay? So things are moving from organized to disorganized. So here's the deal. Uh, so... If we know that the enemy opposes God and he wants everything to be the exact opposite of what God wants for us, and we know that God wants peace for us, the enemy wants confusion, okay? The enemy wants us to be at war, to be at enmity with each other and with God, okay? The enemy is trying to destroy us, 
Bible tells us that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy is unity in our lives. Okay? So if that's the case, and he is a constant proponent of moving towards this entropy, which is moving towards disorganization in our lives, you got to understand that we need to do everything that we can to protect the peace in our lives. Everything that's in our power, okay? And the Bible tells us exactly how we can get that peace in, these ver in this verse here, okay? So it says, in the second part of this verse, it says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus, as we abide in Jesus, as we keep that relationship right with Jesus, as we continually draw close to Jesus, as we continue to be in his presence, this is what will happen with us. We can move towards peace in our own hearts. Okay? So, again, this, this principle of abiding in him, it starts with the prayer that we see in verse 6. Okay? And then it moves through this process of us eventually getting peace in our lives, okay? Peace amongst all the chaos, peace amongst all the nastiness that's going on outside of these four walls, okay? Peace that transcends anything that we can understand, okay? So we have to understand the value of prayer as what it is. It, it, it is meant to bring us in closer relationship with God, and it's meant to keep us from focusing on all of the other things that can derail us. Okay? All right. So let's take a look at the next principle, uh, which is obedience to God. All right? So we're going to take a look at 1 John chapter 2. And in verse 5, it says this. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Jesus once said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Okay? And... Um, he taught that to the disciples, of which John was one of them. Uh, and John is echoing this statement when he's speaking to us here. Okay? And what's funny is, you know, th th this is one of the verses in the Bible that, that's pretty clear. Okay? It says, but those who obey God's word truly show that they completely love him. Okay, so like we, we walk around as Christians and we claim to love God, right? Okay, have we been disobedient to God today, this week, this month? I mean, if we were to be honest, yeah. But again, this isn't about us always being perfect so much as it's about us always trying, trying to get back on track, trying to move forward, okay, when we mess up. Because God understands that we're going to mess up. He knows every mistake that we're ever going to make. He knows every lie we're going to tell. He, he knows every time that we're going to cheat. Uh, on a test, uh, cheat on a spouse. He knows all of this, is what I'm saying, okay? But the thing is, he also knows that we can never be perfect, but he just asks that we can, or he commands us to continually move towards this, okay? Move towards obedience, all right? So let's take a look at verse 6. Uh, because this is a very strong tie-in here, all right? And it says, those who say they live in God, which is what the last verse was talking about, living in God and loving God completely. 
Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay, so Jesus lived a perfect life. And in that, uh, Jesus actually came and he did two things for us. He lived a perfect life uh, to show us the things that we ought to be doing. He modeled things for us as followers of Christ that we ought to be doing. Okay, and then he also came and he died. Uh, he died the sinner's death with the perfect life in order that we would have salvation through him. Okay, so that we would be able to go to heaven and to be in right standing with God. Okay, those are the two things that, that Jesus came and he did. Okay, so the Bible tells us here, those who say they live in God. So, like, just based on this, uh, you can easily infer that there are some who say they live in God but don't actually live in God. Okay, so if we have to be really honest with ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, am I really living in God? Okay, and the way that we prove that is we do the things that Jesus did. Like, it, it, it was real trendy uh, a few years back, or I don't know, it's probably like 20-something years ago that uh, they started the whole, what would Jesus do? Uh, but the thing is, like, a, as catchy and as marketable as that, um, that slogan was, there's a heavy dose of truth in that. You know, we have to ask ourselves every day when we are living uh, in different situations in our lives, well, okay, well, what would Christ do right now? You know, if we walk by, um, if we walk by a person that's panhandling on the side of the street, like, can we discern whether or not this guy is just a charlatan or if he actually needs help? Okay, do we do we really uh, take time uh, out of our schedule to help and to meet the needs of those that are truly in need? Well, it, it's a fairly simple, uh, uh, it's a fairly simple question to answer uh, because all you ask him is like, listen, man. Uh, I know you're, you're looking for money, but if what you actually need is a full belly, let's go get a meal, okay? A lot of those folks will go ahead and, and uh, disqualify themselves right away by saying, nah, that's okay, I don't really, I, I had 10 meals this morning already, I'm good. Okay, well, you don't need my help then, okay? Because the, the, the reality is, listen, if you're going to take that money and just blow it on booze, then, you know, I'm not going to help you do that. I won't be a party to your own destruction in your life, Okay? So, you know, uh, but the thing is, like, as a child of God, we have to be able to discern, and we have to be in a position where we are willing to help if there's a need. Okay? All right. So, uh, we looked at obedience to God. We looked at prayer. Um, but now, it, the last part to this is really the crux of this thing. Um, so, let's go ahead, and, and we're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 1, looking at verse 8, okay? Uh, and the Bible says this, study this book of instruction continually, not every once in a while, not two, three days a week, not, not you know, whenever you feel like you got time to fit it in your schedule. It says to study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to what? Obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, the funny thing is, like, if I were to ask just by a show of hands, how many of y'all want to be successful? And then ask, yeah, okay. So this side of the room right here, all those hands I didn't see go up. Y'all don't want to be successful. It's all good. So we know how not to do that based on what this verse says. All right. 
but I, I mean, you can't ask a person out there and have them give you an honest answer and, tell, and then tell you, nah, I don't feel like being successful. I mean, that, that, that's just like a no-brainer. Everybody wants to be successful at something, even if it's just, you know, sitting at home sleeping. I want to get more sleep, okay? Everybody wants to be successful at something, okay? Uh, you know, but the Bible gives us a very clear path on, on what we need to do in this part of the verse right here because it says, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything in it, Okay? So we talked about having obedience to God before uh, with the verses in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, but you can't obey that which you don't know. Okay? So if you don't know what the book says, how can you possibly obey it? You can't. Now, I'm not saying it's not impossible. I mean, you could hit the mark 100 times uh, uh, out of 1,000, you know, being blindfolded. Uh, if, you know, you just chose the, to do the opposite of what you were doing, okay? But the fact of the matter is we are commanded to study this book continually, okay? And if we are not doing that, we are not trying to abide in him, okay? Because this process requires that we obey what he has taught us. We can't do that without doing this first. It's virtually impossible to do it, okay? So we have to keep that at the forefront of our minds that, yes, I need to get into this word every day because here's the thing. The Bible said that uh, uh, in uh, John 15, uh, verse 4, pull, back, uh, pull up verse 4 for me again uh, from the very beginning, uh, the NLT version. All right, so it says to remain in me and I will remain in you. So this is a two-part two -part deal. And you notice the fact that God's part of it is after we've already done what he's commanded us to do, okay? So he's telling us that we need to remain in him first, and then he will remain in us, right? So go back to, uh, go back to Joshua. So it says that, said in John uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 4, that we need to remain in him. Then he will remain in us, right? So here's the thing. Um, we need to make sure that we do our part first so that he will continue to remain in us, okay? Because the, here's the deal. If we don't do what he's told us to do first, we can never expect him to do what he has promised to do after we can't have that as an expectation, okay? Uh, like, <laughs> my youngest son, man, he's a trip. I love him to death. Uh, and my mother-in-law sitting right there, so she can tell you. Uh, she's laughing right now because she probably knows what I'm about to say. Uh, I love that boy to death. And there are times when, you know, I, I tell him, hey, listen, I, I need you to go ahead and clean your shoes up, okay? Uh, pick your shoes up out of the hallway before somebody trips on them. Ten minutes later, I'm, I'm coming back, and guess what has not happened to those shoes? Okay, so uh, to all y'all that laugh, y'all know where I'm going with this. Okay, so then he comes and he asks me a question. Dad, can I go outside? What's my response to him? No, you still ain't cleaning up those shoes I told you to clean up 10 minutes ago. Okay, so, you know, this, this whole give and take between us doing what we're told and then us actually receiving the promise, okay, there's something that we got to do. Okay, and I tell the boy all the time, like, 
man, I, I can't wait until you have your own children one day. I can't wait. I can't wait because uh, that means I'm going to be a grandfather. And, and, and like, I, I know it's wrong. <laughs> I know it's wrong to curse your kids like that uh, because, you know, like, I heard it after I had kids and, and my parents started telling me, well, you know, you know, you used to be. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but I love, <laughs> if there's one curse that I can lay on my kids that I, I love, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait till you have kids one day. One day. One day. Because I will be the grandfather of all grandfathers. And I'm be like, do what you want. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I, I, I kid. Uh, a little bit. A little, a little, just a little bit. All right, so uh, <laughs> before I totally lose control of this message. Um, so, you know, we have to do the things that God has called us to do, okay? And this is a very clear command from God that we need to stay in his word, okay? Um, and the thing is, like, this isn't just a command that's just like, all right, do, do what I said because, you know, I said so. This is a command that gives us the benefit that's attached with doing it, Right? So we see very clearly here that if we do these things, if we study this word continually and we meditate on it day and night and we obey everything written in it, so we got to apply what we're learning, okay, then and only then will we prosper and succeed in everything that we do. Now, that doesn't mean that we can go out there and, and be like, yeah, uh, I, I was thinking about opening up this strip club and I know God's going to bless it because I've been, I've been in my word. Oh, no, he ain't. You better, you better not say that. Uh, because here's the thing. Like, when, when we start reading God's word and we start to understand the depth of the love that he has for us and we start to understand his will and his purpose for us in our lives, those things that we may have done in the past, become a non-issue to us and we start gravitating towards what he wants for us all right that that's the real deal okay and, and that's where God wants God wants to soften our hearts with everything that's in this book because he has poured out his love for us through this word and he knows that if we continually study it we will see it and we will be more likely to respond to it okay and in that moment he can change us from who we were to who we are supposed to be as children of God, okay? All right, so I think one of the, the, the biggest takeaways that we can have with, um, with these three principles of, of prayer, of uh, studying God's word continually, and of obeying that word is this. You know, um, our, our continual prayer as followers of Christ ought to be that we would continue to move closer to him in the things that we do, the things that we say, in our attitude, okay, in our thought lives, okay, uh, so much to the point that, you know, we would never be in danger of wandering away from his presence, okay? So, like the Bible talks about how uh, the Bible describes us as sheep, right? And sheep are dumb, y'all. Sheep, sheep are, are very stupid, 
okay? And sheep have the tendency to wander. But uh, the Bible uh, relates to us as like Jesus being the shepherd, okay, and bringing us along because he knows that we have the tendency to wander, okay? But when we wander away from him, we can no longer abide in him because we are no longer in his presence, okay? So we need to continually seek to be in his presence, okay? So that is the perspective on being a part of the in crowd from someone who is already a believer. But now I want to sort of shift gears here because there's a second group of people that are here in this room that are not believers. I mean, like, you, you may say, well, uh, yeah, I believe, I believe God exists. You know, I, I believe in that. Oh, yeah? Okay. Uh, well, we're about to find out. Okay? Uh, because here's the thing. In James chapter 2, uh, verse 19, uh, the Bible says this. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons, even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. So here's the thing. Like, I talk to the youth every week um, on Wednesday nights in Bible study. And one of the, the topics that is uh, uh, brought up from time to time is the difference between having a belief that versus having a belief in. Okay? So, you know, when we look at um, when we look at having a belief that something has occurred, okay? We're looking at facts, facts and figures, right? Okay, show me the money, right? So, okay, if you have a belief that God exists, well, that verse from James tells us that even the demons believe that God exists. But the thing is, they've had firsthand knowledge because they've dealt with God, they've seen God before. So, of course, they know that God exists, but that doesn't get them any closer to being in heaven. They've already fallen. Okay? So, here's the thing. Do you really have a belief in God? Because that's the belief that you need to have in order to go to heaven one day. Okay? And let me show you how this works. Uh, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, and starting at verse 18, the Bible says this. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Verse 19 says, As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20, and we're going to camp out here for a second. Verse 20 says, so where does this leave philosophers, scholars, and the, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Listen, I'm going to tell you this today, uh, and I, I want you to hear this, and I want you to understand this well. Um, there is a, a reason why I'm saying that we need to understand the difference between having a belief that versus having a belief in, because here's the deal. In your pursuit of God, if what you do is you make your pursuit of God an intellectual exercise, you will miss heaven by a mile. 
if all you do is reduce God and the God of this Bible to a bunch of facts and stories, you will miss God every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You cannot reduce God to an intellectual idea and expect to get in God and into God's house. You cannot do that, okay? If you make God an intellectual idea, then, then you are no different than the philosophers, the scholars, and the brilliant debaters of this world. You can't do that. Do not turn God into an intellectual idea. Do not turn God into an intellectual pursuit because the fact of the matter is you will never find him unless you search for him with your whole heart. Verse 21 says this. Since God in his wisdom saw it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching, mine included, to save those who believe. Can I tell you how glad I am for salvation? I will tell you this. You know, I got a lot of stuff that goes on in my head. I read a lot of books, uh, and to the outside person looking in, I would appear to be a little bit more heady, more intellectual. But all of that knowledge that's up here could never save me the way that God can. Never. Never. I can memorize this book from front to back and know every verse, where it goes, hear it and be able to, to, to cite the chapter and verse. But if God is not in me, in my heart, it's worth nothing. It's worth absolutely nothing. Okay? We need to have a firm understanding between belief that versus belief in. Okay? There are people walking around today calling themselves Christian and they are no closer to God than I am to Israel right now. Okay? And the fact of the matter is, you know, a lot of it comes down to having this, uh, uh, this misunderstanding of what it means to have a belief that versus what it means to have a belief in. And I say it's a sad reality because there are going to be some people who pass on today. They won't make it home from church. They won't make it home from, you know, whatever their favorite lunch spot is, okay? And they're going to stand before God, and they're going to say, but God, I believe that you existed. I knew you existed. And he is going to say to them the saddest words of all time, which is, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. Okay? God is looking for a relationship with us. God is looking for us to not just know who he is, but know his heart. You can't get any closer to his heart just by knowing a few Bible verses exist. And it's not until you come to that realization that, you know what, yeah, maybe I've been looking at this thing wrong, 
um, that you can make a change, okay? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come back. Like we conceptualize uh, the things that we believe, the ideas that we have, okay? And we think those things just originate up here, but they don't. Because here's, the Bible tells us that we need to believe in our heart. It doesn't say that we need to believe in our minds. We need to believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he was. He said he was the son of God. He said he came to save people from their sins. We need to believe that God raised him from the dead because that is the only thing that gets anyone into heaven. If Jesus did not come live, die a sinner's death on a Roman cross and then get raised from the dead, salvation means nothing. Salvation is absolutely worthless. The Christian house of cards will fall if you could ever prove that Jesus never raised himself from the grave. Okay? And all these Sunday services, Sunday night services, Wednesday night services are all for nothing if you can prove that. But the fact is, the grave was empty. And thank God the grave was empty. Okay? Don't ever forget that. Don't ever believe anything otherwise. Because here's the thing. Like, <laughs> I hear people talk about, oh, well, you know, the, um, the disciples, they went and uh, they overpowered uh, the Roman guards that were there. Okay, good luck with that. Okay, because none of them was ever a warrior. These guys that were centurions, they were raised pretty much from birth to be killers. Okay? They were raised, okay, in a society that said, listen, okay, when you grow up one day, you are going to be one of the enforcers in this, uh, 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 in this, this battalion that we call the Roman Guard, okay? You know, and, and the, the fact of the matter is, like, if you look at all the events of Jesus' uh, uh, Jesus's resurrection, and you look at the fact that um, the... Um, the day that, that Jesus was placed into the tomb, uh, the Jewish leaders, they went to Pilate, to Pontius Pilate, the man that had, uh, that had the right and even said of himself, listen, I, I believe this man is, is innocent, okay, but I'm going to give you what you want just to avoid the riot, okay? They went to him and they said, well, this man, Jesus said that he was going to raise himself after three days, so we want... Uh, uh, we want to have a Roman guard there. We want the tomb sealed. And let me explain to you what that meant. Okay, so when they said that it, it was sealed, it wasn't just the stone that was rolled in front of the, the, the tomb, okay? It was sealed with a rope that went around it, okay, that kept the, the, um, that kept the boulder or whatever it was in place, okay? And then that, in turn, was sealed all the way around with mud that hardened, 
okay? So in order for someone to come and to steal the body of Jesus, they would have had to overpower the guards, uh, uh, chisel away all the mud, uh, uh, cut away the rope that was in front of it, and roll away the boulder that was sitting in front of the tomb, okay? And you mean to tell me that 12 disciples are going to do that and overpower a guard of 16 Roman soldiers who were raised to kill people from birth? You mean to tell me that's what happened? Okay, I don't think that's really what happened. But uh, uh, let's, let's say that they were able to actually do that. Okay, so they did all that just to say that Jesus was raised to, from the dead and then to turn around and be persecuted for the rest of their lives, most of them dying uh, 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 deaths that we couldn't even imagine. So what you mean to tell me is they did that all for something that they believed was a lie? Who goes and dies for something that they know is a lie? None of y'all, listen, if I walked in here today and say, hey, hey man, I just robbed the bank, right? Um, and I'm going to need you to cover for me. I'm going to need you to say that you robbed the bank and not me. <laughs> I'm not trying to go to jail today. If I'd have came that and said that to any one of y'all, y'all would have been like, you're out of your mind. I ain't lying for you. I mean, take your punishment. But the disciples, knowing that they were going to have persecution, Jesus told them, he told them, listen, you are going to endure persecution in my name, okay? So knowing that they were going to face persecution, they went and they, they, they said, listen, this is what it is. Jesus raised himself from the dead just like he said he was. So why steal a body? If you have to steal the body, you knew that it was a farce. So it wouldn't make sense, okay? And then let's look at the flip side of the coin. All right, so... Let's say they didn't take the body. Uh, who else would have incentive to take the body? Not the Jewish leaders. Why would they say that? Okay? Jewish leaders would never say that because they don't want people to believe in Jesus. Jesus said he was going to raise himself from the dead after three days. Why would they go and take the body? Uh, they're, off the, uh, they're off the hook. Okay, well, then let's take a look at the Romans. Why would they do it? They certainly wouldn't do it. Why? Because then it gives credence to Jesus being who he said he was. He said he was the true king. He said he was Lord of Lords. Okay? So they didn't have any incentive to take the body. No one had incentive to take the body more than the disciples, but they would not have done it. They, it was physically impossible for them to do it. But people still believe that Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. You, go, you check today. Tomb's empty. And thank God for that. Verse 10. I'm running out of time here. I got to rush. But I'm not going to rush on God, so we'll be here till 3. <laughs> so the Bible says, for it is by believing in your heart, again, belief not in your head, in your heart, that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Verse 11. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But now, here's the crux of this thing. Verse 14, 
But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe that he exists? No, no, no. Unless they believe in him. Unless they believe in him. And this is the deal right here. If you only have a belief that Jesus exists, you cannot be saved. It is only by believing in him as Lord and Savior that you will ever have a chance of sniffing what heaven smells like. Next part of this verse says, and how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? This is why it's so important for us to share our faith with people so that they understand that this is not just an intellectual exercise. This is not just us trying to debate with you about who Jesus was. No, this is so important for us. This is why we share our faith with people, okay? Because we don't want them going to a demise that could have been avoided because they had a belief that versus a belief in. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Listen, if you have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to lay it down for you really quick. The Bible teaches us in John 3.16, most quoted verse of all time, okay, uh, that God sent his son die for the sins of the world okay and here's what that means I'm going to take you through a checklist I I don't want you to raise your hand I don't want you to shout out loud I don't want you to point I don't want you to, to elbow your partner sitting next to you but if this is you I want you to just check it off in your head I want you to think about this have you ever told a lie before ever cheated to do anything before? Have you ever taken something that was not yours? Have you ever looked upon another person with lust in your eyes? Okay. Those are only four. Those are only four of the Ten Commandments. Okay. It's a total of ten. Some that deal with us and our relationship to God. Some that deal with us and our relationship to other people. But I'm going to tell you this. If you've done any of those things or anything that is described in this word as being a sin and you have not asked for forgiveness for those sins, okay, you are still at enmity. You are still opposed to God. I wouldn't want you to have to walk out of here today without having a chance to get right with God. Okay. You know, the sad reality is um, most people who are on their way uh, to hell today uh, don't understand that it is not God who puts you in hell. Okay. The fact that the matter is this. We make decisions that either draw us closer to or pull us further away from God. 
thing is, if all you ever do is deny the existence of God or deny his presence in your life, the message that that sends to God is very clear. That you don't want to be in his presence for all of eternity. The sad reality is, people have it messed up in their heads. They think that, oh, well, God's just, just mean. He just has all these rules, and he wants to send me to hell. No, God wants you to be right with him. God wants you in right relationship with him, okay? And here's the deal. You have the choice as to whether or not you are going to draw close to him and you are going to confess the fact that, you know what, God? My life's not right. I've done some things that I know have broken your laws. And unless you turn and you say, you know what, I, I, I want to I want to make things right. Uh, I want to confess those sins. And I want you to have Jesus come and live inside my heart. Okay? Unless you do that, you won't be saved. not turn what I'm saying here into an intellectual exercise. Remember, this is a heart thing, okay? You believe in him by what is in your heart, okay? So if you have never confessed your sins to God, if you have never called upon him and said, God, please help me, help me to get right. I know I haven't been living right. I know I can do better, but I can't do it without you. If you would humble yourself to that point, and you would call upon him with your heart, and use the words of your mouth to confess your sins, you will be saved. That is God's promise to you. And he has promised to wash away all of those sins. choice is yours no one can do that for you I can't do that for you you know I, I uh, it's funny because like I've taught this analogy of the uh, having a belief in versus a belief that um, and when I teach it I, I usually use a, 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 an analogy that's uh, like a bulletproof vest. How many folks in here are in law enforcement? You ever had to wear a bulletproof vest before, Mr. C? Okay. All right. So here's the thing. Like, Mr. C, he wears a, a bulletproof vest. And he has a belief that if somebody were shooting at him, the bullet would probably be stopped by the bulletproof vest, right? But here's the deal. It is not until that one faithful time when he's in pursuit of a criminal and you know, God forbid that criminal get the drop on him and pull his weapon before Mr. C is able to pull his. But if that happens in that split instance, it goes from having a belief that that bulletproof vest could stop that bullet to having complete and utter, utter faith, I know this bullet is coming. And I know there's nothing the 
between me and it that can stop it except this vest. Okay? Listen. If you are on the fence, if you are in doubt that when you walk out of these doors today, that you would go to heaven if you were to pass on today, you need to stop messing around and move from a belief that to a belief in. Because there is only one thing that's going to stop that bullet of evil, that bullet of sin from taking you to hell with it. That's Jesus. Jesus is our bulletproof vest. said you come you see me afterward and we'll talk and we will get you saved I don't want any person to have to walk out of here with that in doubt you come see me and we'll talk about getting saved okay it is a simple process okay so with that being said let's go ahead and close the prayer Heavenly Father we thank you so much opportunity to learn from your word, to gain better understanding from your word, to to be exposed to your love and, and to understand now how important it is for us to abide in you, for us to continually seek you, to be in your presence, God, and to never depart from your presence. God, we thank you so much for helping us to see that, to helping us uh, understand the three main disciplines that we can use to do that as Christians. God, we thank you uh, for those that may not be saved in the room today. We thank you for their presence here today, Lord, and we ask that you work on their hearts and that you draw them close to you and that you would save them from the confession of their mouth. God, we pray and we ask that you continue to work in us, on us, and through us to reach everyone around us for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.